Welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ, quit. This song don't give a damn. You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it. This song ain't arrogant. If you don't try and buy it, or if your radio denies it, don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV, or what spots hot, I forgot. I ain't mad at evolution. Hi team, welcome to the Cab Appropriate Podcast, where I talk to interesting people doing inspiring things in health, fitness, and the creative arts. This week I spoke to Pete Evans, celebrity chef and health advocate. Unfortunately, we had a few technical difficulties and there were some audio dropouts, but I think you'll still get a huge amount out of this podcast. It was a great one for me to do and it was very exciting to talk to Pete. Um, I, we obviously haven't met in, in person, um, but I met you tangentially through the, the whole sort of low carb movement that was really starting here uh, in New Zealand and across in Australia a couple of years ago. And you were kind enough to highlight a few of our team at AUT, the, the researchers doing research into low carb, you know, Professor Schofield and um, Karen Zinn, my colleagues. And so you were kind enough to highlight the work that, that we were doing. So uh, thanks for that. And you've sort of gone on to become probably the leading face for real food health advocacy in, in this part of the world. So welcome along, Pete. It's awesome to have you here. It's rather really nice to uh, be on here having a chat to you. So thanks for the invitation. My pleasure, mate. So uh, the, the last few chats I've had uh, were, were with predominantly endurance athletes, people like Dr. Dan Plews and Paul Cadman, um, Scott Gooding, who I think was even on your show a few years back. And they all told a story about, yeah, he's, he's a good bugger. Um, they've all told a story about going from basically carbs and cardio and just realizing that the way they were doing things simply wasn't working. And they, they've sort of all ended up in the whole food, you know, paleo-esque or, or low-carb fields. Your story is a little bit different, obviously. So how did you end up going from a renowned chef to a, a public health crusader? interesting actually um to be honest with you it was a uh, it was a decision to change what we're eating and uh, my wife nicola had read the book uh, primal body primal mind by nora gigaudis yeah and she suggested it would be a good book for me to read and she knew that i was interested in health and nutrition and always have been and i read that book and it just made a lot of sense so we implemented the simple uh, principles basically eating meat and seafood and some vegetables on the plate and off we went. And it, the actual information and the science provided by Nora just made, it made perfect sense. I don't think anybody could debate uh, how she put together her book. Yeah. And with, within months, we, we all felt the benefits and uh, 
even my children saw the benefits in themselves or felt the benefits. We could see less bloating, less inflammation in across the board, uh, so much so that the whole family does it now, or my mum does it, uh, my wife does it, uh, our kids do it, uh, even our extended family part, they do it these days. And we've been doing it now coming up to eight years, which is pretty cool. Um, and by all reports, we probably should be dead by now. <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> from from what the naysayers say, but uh, we just go from strength to strength. And the further we go along this path, I guess the simpler it becomes. And mm. uh, I think at the start, we tried to uh, sort of do the supplement, or not the supplementation, but the substitutions is the correct word for what we considered, what we were doing. So we were making the mueslis, we were making the cookies, we were making the, the cheesecakes, but all paleo so without the dairy without the grains uh these days it's it's a lot less about that one it's number one it takes too long number two it's too expensive as well and number three i don't think it provides you the great nutrition that a plate of uh, meat and vegetables can or a seafood and vegetables can or eggs and vegetables or any combination of those um as well as some broth and some fermented veg so uh, it's funny actually um Thanks for changing the, the, the time today because I just harvested a whole heap of uh, turmeric and horseradish from awesome. the garden. And I've, I've literally, I've got yellow hands, which you probably can't see there, yeah. but uh, I fermented two big jars of uh, turmeric. And I also pickled another huge jar of turmeric, organic turmeric straight from the garden. It's, it's freaking amazing when to actually do that and horseradish for the very first time we, we planted it a year ago or nearly a year and a half ago and i've been waiting patiently and i got enough to do one huge or actually two huge jars and i've just pickled it uh, basically just grated it up in the food processor added uh, apple cider vinegar over the top popped it in the fridge now i can't tell you how excited i am for the coming meals especially steak with some of that pickled horseradish over the top you know, as yeah. a chef i get excited about that and even cooking some seafood with uh, fermented turmeric or pickled turmeric over the top i mean you basically have the sauce and the 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 health accompaniment with it and um i'm, I'm talking about what what i do because this is what we do and the the question you asked is how did this become sort of what I'm known for now and it, it without really putting too much thought behind it nothing's changed because it all revolves around cooking mm. I'm excited about turmeric that just came out of the garden but but even pre-paleo I was excited about cooking regardless whether it was a bowl of pasta or, or a plate of meat and vegetables you know I, I used to cook from scratch so not much has changed. It's just that I've removed the foods that can cause inflammation for a lot of yeah. people and especially myself with uh, the foods that don't or, or in increasing more of the foods that uh, bring about great health. So nothing's really changed in that aspect to a, to a degree. I'm still passionate about cooking and passionate about cooking delicious food. Actually, my wife and I today, we... We got some sausages yesterday because they're on, sp on special at the supermarket. And uh, a friend of mine had this tomato salsa and that she wanted me to try. 
So I was, I've been looking forward all day and usually I eat one, one meal a day these days, maybe two, but today's meal was, and that's the only meal we're eating today, was this beautiful um, uh, sausage and a little bit of bacon actually, because we had some in the fridge. We did a shakshuka, which is basically a, a, an Israeli tomato baked egg dish, but I did it with sausages and Nick made a guacamole to go with it, and I made a beautiful uh, coriander and parsley sauce, which I harvested from the garden, which took a matter of a minute. Uh, and I, I, I guess you could hear what I'm talking about here is we get excited about cooking each <laughs> and every day, and it's like it's an adventure. So the flow-on effect from that was uh, you have a person that's passionate about cooking that's in the public eye that has improved their health dramatically and mm. that of the, uh, their family. And here is a, a, a wonderful joining of the two things that I've been passionate about, which yeah. was cooking and also health and nutrition. If I could put surfing in there as well, I have to try <laughs> affect it. But uh, currently it is uh, health and nutrition and food and sharing recipes and I guess what I'd like to do as well, and I, I feel like one of my, what I'm curious about and also empowered to do is join the dots and, and connect certain things or certain people or certain events and places. And again, share that with a, with a greater audience. Mm. And uh, I, I get excited about that too. So it, it's been a natural progression of the things that I'm passionate about and that I creatively express that has led me to this point. And, and our union here today, uh, Cliff, is exactly the same, or tonight is exactly the same. It's about you invited me onto your, onto your chat. And I'm very happy to have a chat and hopefully uh, share a little bit of the wisdom that I've learned from other people that are highly intelligent and are getting long-term sustainable results. I mean, obviously, it's clear that your your passion's there, and I think it's it's awesome hearing about your love for cooking because I think with all of the things you're doing now with your health advocacy and you know the documentary and things like that, I think people lose lose sight of that a little bit that you're a chef and you're not just a chef; you're a great chef, you're an award winning chef, and that's obviously the basis. You know, it's it's food and being excited about food and getting back, I guess, now to to real food, really. Uh-huh. And, you know, to be excited about food, and I'm not obsessed about it, I just want to make that, that clear. Well, no more obsessed than anybody else is obsessed about actually getting a meal every day, you know, or, or when we feel hungry. So I, I guess the better word to be is excited about what meal we're about to eat, yeah. what meal we can, we can prepare, and how quickly can we do it so that mm. we can get on with the rest of the stuff that we have to do in the day, but equally uh, make it as delicious as possible with the most beautiful ingredients. And it, it, it sort of saddens me a little bit when people think that it's a chore to cook for themselves and uh, where I, I've never viewed it as that way. I, I see it as a gift that we give to ourselves and to others if we're cooking for others. Yeah. And, and on the times that people actually cook for me, uh, I have ex extreme gratitude for that and thanks for the opportunity to actually uh, uh, be presented with a gift, which is nourishment and which is uh, beautiful food. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, I, I remember when, when I was chatting with Scotty, um, you know, we, we were both talking about this idea that people have, particularly in the health and fitness field, a lot of people have this idea that food is just fuel. And we were saying just how boring life would be if food was just fuel. You know, it's for me, it's my primary entertainment. I, I, I think I'm thinking about my next meal most of the time because I love to eat. Um, and because I love to eat, I guess I've had to learn to cook. And obviously, I'm not a very good cook, but I, I try my hand. And, um, you know, that's where I think we really begin to, like you say, connect the dots. It, it can't just be about the the fueling in a very sort of mechanistic or structural way. There's, there's so much more to life. You know, there's community and there's the social aspects. There's the enjoyment. If we don't have that, I don't think it works. And I think that's one of the things that you're really bringing to the fore now is that it is more holistic and in a, in a real sense, not in a sort of woo sense. It's holistic in a, a sense that really works. For sure, and, and I'd love to just make this statement that, you know, you can eat all the most beautiful food in the world and you can still suffer disease and vice yeah. versa. You can eat junk food, for instance, and live, a, live to be a ripe old age and maybe not suffer disease, you know. But um, it, I think you need to, I mean, what I do and I, what I believe is, you need to look at the package and the package for me and i think for every human is food water sleep uh, movement uh, the most important one out of all, added to that is our emotional well-being or our belief systems or our patterns of identity absolutely patterns that form our identity and then we take into account do we interact with nature? Do we get enough sunlight? Do we do we touch the ground enough? Do we immerse ourselves into nature? And obviously, on the flip side of that, it's are we being exposed to anything toxic in our environment? Are we being exposed to anything toxic in our in our homes? Are we being exposed to anything toxic in our food water supply or in our immediate vicinity? Or are we being exposed or do we have toxic thought patterns that are causing us to make poor decisions or to manifest disease in a certain part of our body or to, yeah. um, I mean, as a parent, you can create disease into your children by the way that you speak to them and set themselves up for their own belief systems. And I, I think a lot of people possibly don't, um, uh, pay too much credence to that, which hopefully in the an open discussion uh, or conversation about all of these things that, especially if you're a parent, how study you and they are a sponge and, and they pick up on your identity and belief systems and, and they can take that on board. And, you know, I, I, I witnessed so many children trying to please their parents or even adults trying to still please their parents. Um, because they feel like they're not worthy or they don't matter or they're, they're not important or they can't get enough love because of this, that, or the other, or they haven't achieved. And I mean, I see it so often. And I think for me, that's the next part of the puzzle that I would like to help present because I feel like that we've nearly, I won't say exhausted, but I feel like that, uh, the food side of things is pretty simple now you know, from, yeah, from yes. my point of view, you know, how, how much more, uh, 
detailed can we get unless we start to go down the, the Dave Asprey biohacking supplementation <laughs> uh, range of things, which which is great. And I believe uh, if we can get the accurate testing of where we may be deficient in certain minerals or vitamins, then so be it. Let's let's adjust accordingly and let's supplement accordingly and appropriately. Yeah. I do think that for me, I think the next stage is really emotional well-being and what does that mean and how can we... I guess I see following social media and it's mainstream media, there's the are you okay movement there's the uh, and i don't know i think scotty's a part of uh, one of these um the suicidal or the depression or the or the range of different things out there where people are suffering yeah. from their thought patterns and belief patterns yet no one is really having the conversation about how does food affect that but also how do we reconnect ourselves to break those patterns because and, and it's a touchy subject because it, it it brings it back to the individual that they have to be accountable for their own actions and that they actually are the ones to break free or understand where they are at this particular point in time yeah so I, I, i'm still um I'm still intrigued and curious about how we can tackle that on a larger scale. And I've been doing my own podcast over the last year and bringing in people that I admire that are tackling with this more so than just the food side, because, um, I, I, I for me, that's, it's one of my passions and I believe it's, uh, it, it's the answer for a lot of people's, uh, issues, especially the ones when, they know that they should be eating this type of food, say meats and vegetables or paleo or low carb or whatever it may be, but still can't find that, that motivation or that love to be able to consistently do that for themselves. So absolutely. I hope, uh, I hope I haven't rambled too much, but uh, that's what I'm passionate about. No, you, you, I mean, you're reading my mind to some degree. I don't, you, you probably don't know, but I, um, I'm obviously most well known in my little, sector for the research I've done in ketogenesis and you know the fact that I guess 20 plus years ago I was the first practitioner to really start working with real food and low-carb diets in Australasia um, but my early postgrad was in mind body healthcare and a lot of the work that I was known for up in North America was actually in that sort of mind body integrative field so it was really looking at people's self-limiting beliefs and you know their sense of self-worth and all those types of things and it's not as crazy as people think, you know, people are going to, we know the people that are going to listen to what you're saying and say, oh, you know, pizza crackpot, because they're always saying that. But what they're not recognizing is there is a huge amount of clinical work going on. There's a huge amount of research going on. And we can't separate that stuff aside anymore. You know, there's a number of studies, as an example, that show when people follow a mindfulness regime, they typically do better with their nutrition than if they're given a nutrition plan. You know, it's little things like that. And so I think the next step is, is very much in beginning to look much deeper at that side of things, because I, I think as you sort of suggested, the mechanistic side of nutrition, to some degree, the horse is bolted. You know, the, the people who are fighting a rearguard action against real food, 
are losing a battle because if you're eating natural whole and unprocessed food, you're going to get pretty good results. We know this stuff. This is not rocket science. <laughs> I'm actually fascinated to know, Pete, how you've gone from very much a paleo focus into now a little bit more sort of low carbon keto, right? Well, we'll go back to the initial uh, instigator for this, which was reading Nora Gagaudis' book. And Nora's been a uh, proponent for a mildly ketogenic approach ever since that book was released. I mean, uh, that was always how we lived uh, mm. or adopted the paleo approach. Yeah. I mean, we've had our online program up for, I think, about four years now. And that took about two years to get to actually build to get up. So six years ago, uh, we put that up and with Nora's in, input to that and all throughout that, it's a, it's a ketogenic approach or mild ketogenic approach. So it's, for me, it's not new. It's just that I, we never used the word ketogenic when we launched it because mm. paleo was how it was introduced. And for me, paleo is mildly ketogenic, if not fully ketogenic by, by its definition from the people that I follow, such as yeah. Laura Gagaudis, who a Marxism, for instance, I mean, sure, they've, the paleo movement has high carb treats if they're using dates or maple syrup or honey. But again, anyone that's eating generally a paleo approach, they're not, that's not a large part of their diet. It's, it's you know, it might break them out of ketosis on the one day of the week or, or fortnight that they might in, indulge in that. Most people that do paleo that I know aren't the type of people that still have a hugely sweet tooth that's still <laughs> they're, they're pretty intelligent people so they've worked out that yeah okay, that's a treat that's 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 for special occasions when when the kids have got a birthday party or something like that so um because it's funny because a lot a lot of people go oh you're keto now i'm like no we, we always were promoting that <coughs> it's just that uh, to I thought one word was difficult enough for, for people to get their head wrapped around. <laughs> <the paleo. laughs> yeah. We could write, you know, these days I just say it's a, it basically to define what we, what we do, because again, keto can be a, a very misleading thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. So our documentary, the magic pill came out yeah. and it's not a movie about a ketogenic diet. And a lot of people believe it is. We show a the ketogenic approach for in two instances. And one is at the Shriners Institute in Honolulu, where the, the doctors there are prescribing a ketogenic diet for children on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. Yep. And they're violated. So we interview those people and talk about what they're getting. And we also have a young girl called Abigail, who is, uh, who has 50 seizures a day, who was also on the spectrum. But she adopts a ketogenic style approach, uh, or even a, a modified GAPS approach, and we see the benefits of that. So, and the only other time that I think we use the term, I think David Butter says the perfect place to be is in a mild state of ketosis. He doesn't say full blown ketosis; he says a mild state of ketosis. Yeah. So, what is fascinating from from that? is that um, 
and I purposely didn't put the word paleo into the whole documentary because I, we we do low carb in there, we do keto, we do paleo, we do uh, gaps. We're basically doing an anti-inflammatory diet with a low carb approach. Yeah, that was that was the premise of of what we would show. Um, and but since the movie's launched, I, I go off social media the hashtag of the magic pill. Prior to the movie being launched, I think there was a hundred or two hundred uh, hashtag posts called the magic pill, and I don't think any of them had anything to do with food. But since then, <laughs> I think we're up to six thousand hashtags of of uh, the magic pill in the last four months, and it's fascinating what people are posting as their ketogenic approach, and I wouldn't eat any of that shit. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. The food that people are promoting as keto, it it still doesn't look like food to me. And I, 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 it saddens me a little bit. It's it's the most beige, bland, ugly food that I could ever, and it's not to do with their cooking techniques, but I think it, it, people have got an idea in their mind that they have to um, smother everything in cheese or butter and, and have yeah. bacon at every meal. It's like, it's... well, it's yeah that could be a recipe for disease right there um so it, it's interesting because when we we released the movie my uh director uh who i love dearly rob he he showed me one of the cuts and it had a, a bit in it that i loved and then all of a sudden just as it was about to go out to 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 be seen by the public He'd removed this this section in it. I, I was like, "Whoa, what the what, what have you done, mate? <laughs> you know, you can't pull this bit out." And I'll tell you the bit. It's the bit in the middle of the film where we basically give not the formula, but an idea of what to eat. So we talk about eating organic vegetables. Organic. Uh, we talk about eating intermittent fasting. We talk about adding fermented foods to your diet. We talk about eating nose to tail animal. Uh, wild caught seafood. Uh, we talk about making bone broths. We talk about, um, I think I said intermittent fasting before, but basically we give you a, a, a description or an illustration of what this actually means. So yeah. eat some beautiful, colorful vegetables, eat some fresh herbs, eat organic, eat a wide variety of food, nose to tail if you can, add some fermented foods for gut health, add some bone broth again for gut health. But it's very rare that I see that with people that post the mag hashtag the magic pill or hashtag keto. It, it looks like, it, it looks like um, uh, not vibrant food to me, which is, which is sad, it, I guess, at the same time. I think it's an interesting thing down here. We noticed this um, because obviously I, I, you know, I had been practicing in the, the real food low carb space for a long time. And it wasn't until about, it was probably around the same time, actually about eight years ago that uh, maybe a little bit less that the team up at AUT said, look, we're, we're changing what we're doing up here and we're moving towards that sort of real food based low carb approach. And they invited me up to, um, to do research with them. So that's how I became sort of a researcher up at the university, having previously been sort of ostracized. But it was really interesting because the approach that was taken here, and I think mostly on Australia as well, was really different to what we saw coming out of the US in particular. 
and we would have experts coming down from the US and we would sort of sit down and have a meal. And to us, a meal would be a whole bunch of vibrant vegetables with some meat and some good quality oil and stuff. And some of them would just sit there and eat a block of butter. And we're sort of thinking it, it's the quantity over quality focus that a lot of people have. And it's so counterproductive because from my point of view, before you even look at carb content, you know, high versus low carb, all that kind of stuff, you should be looking at eating a natural unprocessed diet. I mean, that's foundation. And then you move from there if you have to, but the reality is, you know, it's based on real food. And so it was really interesting to see this stark contrast between, I guess, low carb Australasian style versus a lot of the way that low carb's done offshore. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, because uh, I get the question so often when I do uh, social media live interaction, either a typed or a, or a spoken uh, Facebook live or, or Facebook chat question and answers. And the, the common question is, what's the difference between keto and paleo? I go, well, there's not really. I said, however, if you're eating dairy and you're not getting the results that you're after, you may want to a limit eliminate it for three to six months and see how your body feels to that because yeah the thing with keto is very rarely do or low carb do they talk about the inflammatory re reaction in our body to certain foods yep. and just from my own research is that and from speaking to people in the health industry that are dealing with patients on a day-to-day -day basis they say that so many people actually improve if they've got health issues once they remove dairy from their diet. It's like, but on the one hand, we have, when you look at keto, it's like, eat the cheese, eat the dairy, eat the cream, <laughs> eat the butter. And it's like, Ooh. you know, if I did that, I'd fall apart. My body would just, would, I'd be sniffing and snotting and <laughs> my mucus would be forming. Yeah. And, just wonder how and, and that's how it manifests in my body other people it can manifest in different things and i just um and that's why i feel like i ever listened to a podcast today on rob wolf with uh sean baker who is a uh, yep. carnivorous diet yep and, and i found it really interesting and I, i've invited sean to be on our podcast in a in a month or two and i can't help but feel that the reason the carnival diet is working as well them is they've taken out the, the inflammatory foods no doubt they've, they've gone the one next step and taking out vegetables and fruits um, i wonder how how many people actually have an issue for that you know nightshades obviously can be very problematic for people with autoimmune disease so it's nearly and what i got from his is you can nearly go on a meat-based diet or seafood-based diet for a month just to give your body a reset and then incorporate the foods back into it. And I, I'm, I'm going to give that a shot, but, you know, but at the same time, I just planted uh, a whole lot of vegetables into the garden today, which <laughs> we've got lettuces, we've got broccoli, we've got uh, watercress in there going nuts. And I love eating that. But um I guess things, different things work for different people and people can tolerate things differently from other people. But I think that the reason that uh, our version of paleo or low carb works is that we basically bring it back to a very uh, simple <coughs> formula. And this is what I keep telling people. It's well, really well-sourced seafood or meat. 
and I'll talk about bacon in a sec, with some vegetables. And obviously, if you can grow it yourself or get organic, fantastic, because we don't want any glyphosate or any uh, toxic chemicals going into our food. And from that, you've got a really good foundation. And if you can make every single meal have that as the foundation, and maybe yeah. have some broth or some fermented veg if you, if you if you choose to, but that should sort of be the base. And I, I encourage people just to start on that. But if we talk about bacon, for instance, a lot of people eat a lot of bacon. The thing that I, I think gets missed a lot of the time is that the way that our pigs are, are raised or farmed these days is one ethically most of them. Um, farmed or raised in inhumane uh, conditions for any any animal yeah. uh, and number two they're they're eating a diet that is so far removed from their natural diet that for me i see bacon as a sort of a treat food and and one that's i, I don't see it as something that is a health food for instance i see it as something that tastes really freaking good <laughs> likewise <laughs> and i nearly have the the yeah, use it own risk because even really good free range ones that are out there, they're still not eating a, a, a diet that is 100% what they would have naturally eaten. Whereas if you look at a cow, for instance, that's um, grass fed and grass finished, that cow is basically <coughs> eating as close to, to what it would normally eat because that's what it would normally eat in the wild. Obviously, it's been domesticated, but at least it's eating a natural food source uh, all the way through, which is why I think cattle, for instance, or wild-caught seafood are superfoods for us. Mm. But the pigs and the chickens especially are uh, foods that um, are sometimes foods for me. Yeah. And, and, um, so and that's why I get, I guess, out a little for all these posts of people that are on a ketogenic diet and it's just bacon 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 i'm like and even and even eggs from chickens that because those chickens are eating a a diet that still isn't a hundred percent natural for them so those eggs aren't even a hundred percent and we've got chickens here on the farm and we feed them organic grain and seed actually just got some mealworms today for them but um and they've got a huge area to to peck from but again, it's still not 100% what they would normally eat if they were fully wild. So uh, I think we I think we need to tread carefully and with an awareness without it, without being scared of eating. And I'm not scared of eating bacon. I just go, well, I'm just going to eat a small amount per week. <laughs> but I'm not going to eat it every single day. <laughs> I'm not going to make my majority of my diet bacon. No. The, the problem is, Pete. The salt that they use is... Yeah, exactly. 100% are using quality sea salt. A lot of them are using table salt, which again, we know the, the inherent problems for that. So anyway, the, said my little piece. The, the thing is, you, you you make a lot of sense. You, you probably know that you and I probably don't agree on everything. But as you also know, uh, me and the team here have supported what you're doing pretty strongly and come out, you know, very vocally in the media um, supporting what you're doing. Because I don't think any of us could say that a diet or I don't even want to say diet, but a compendium of food that's based on natural, whole, unprocessed, unrefined, all those good things can in any way be negative. 
and yet you've faced so much controversy and backlash. So how does that affect you? I mean, the fact that you're just promoting something that, you know, us as researchers are saying, this is just legitimate stuff. And then you're getting all this backlash from people saying you're basically causing ill health. <laughs> well, I can never cause ill health because I'm not feeding anybody. So I can't be <laughs> responsible for that, except for my children, of course, and, and my own self and my wife. We share the kitchen, which is great. She's a great, wonderful cook. But um, I, I guess the backlash is, um, I wouldn't say warranted, but I understand why it is there. Uh, I mean, most of the backlash will have a financial interest behind it, why, why there is backlash. And uh, I'll give you a, a very simple um, scenario and, and realisation is that I work for a television network that is the most popular in Australia. It's Channel 7. I also work for TVNZ in, um, uh, in I think it's TVNZ. I could be wrong, but I think it is um, <laughs> in, in New Zealand. So we have an alliance or a partnership, I guess, or your, you have a relationship with um, large mainstream media like that. And it, the show that I work on, My Kitchen Rules, is the number one show on that network, on the number one network in the country. So... Wow. Um, it's very easy to see why uh, there are stories on the opposing networks that aren't as favourable <laughs> possibly as, as uh, um, uh, let's just say that they've got a, a bias to mm -hmm. ridicule somebody that's in a very prominent position on an opposing network so once you understand that and i mean opposing networks whether it be channel 9 channel 10 which is our uh, commercial free-to-air networks as well as our um, uh, abc and sbs all of them have gone out of created stories uh, to ridicule and to attack and it's once you understand what they're actually trying to do is they're just trying mm. to attack the network through, through me because I'm easy, an easy target because <laughs> I'm, I'm actually out there standing for something. It's an interesting take. I haven't, hadn't that, ever thought of it like that. And then obviously I, I don't know what it is like in New Zealand, but in Australia, uh, our magazines or our newspapers are also owned by these um, media outlets that own those TV channels as well. Mm. So, I mean, two weeks ago, we just had a merger between Channel 9 and Fairfax. So it's going to be very interesting. To, and Fairfax is the Sydney Morning Herald. It's the age in Melbourne, which are two of the big newspaper, uh, mainstream newspapers. You know, they're, they're read by millions of people every day. So they've just merged with Channel 9, which is the, the closest opposition to Channel 7. So I, I just said, wow, I can't wait to see all the newspaper articles that are <laughs> going to come out next year when, when our show is on, have, have made up stories against me. 
Um, and then we've got... It's not just a media beat-up, though, is it, Pete? Because there are groups like the you know Australian Medical Association. So even though this is being promoted in the media, I mean, there are talking heads from supposedly reputable bodies coming out and saying that, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Well, I was just about to get to that. So, again, we go back to the dollar thing because if you have that understanding that it comes down to dollars, because I'll just make this statement straight up. We've had probably 100,000 people do our program, our 10-week program, which is now free. It's called the Paleo Way. Um, which I referred to earlier that Nora helped us uh, set up and also Luke Hines and Helen Patteron and Trevor Hendy and, and a few others. Yeah. Out of 100,000 people who have done that, I have not had one email from anybody that has said it has made them worse, that they have become sicker. Yeah. Not one, right? So, and I've never, ever seen a newspaper article or a magazine article or a TV article that has attacked me and what we're promoting that has brought forward one person that has said they have become sicker because of what the information that we've shared, not one, yeah. not in six or seven years that we've been promoting this. Yeah. Now you would think you would think in this day and age that there would, they, the investigative journalists, they would be able to find at least one person, but still nothing. So yeah. that, that, that to me shows there's, there's no evidence that what we're promoting eating meat and vegetables is hazardous to any human's health. Um, <laughs> it's, it's basically laughable or impossible for that to, for them to even find somebody on the face of the planet that meat and vegetables, unless they have some sort of illness, like the, the tick that's going around where people cannot eat red meat, for instance, that then yeah. could be an issue, an issue, right? Yeah. Um, then going back to say the Australian medical association or the dietitians association, let's follow the money trail as to why they have an issue with this. So if we look at the dietitians association, very uh, in depth, we know that they're sponsored by multinational food companies such as mm -hmm. Nestle, uh, Unilever, I think is, is the other one. Uh, but they're also got the Grains and uh, Legumes Council on board as a sponsor. They've also got Dairy Australia on board as a sponsor. They even have Meat and Livestock Australia as a sponsor. And a lot of that meat is grain fed as well. Um, yeah. So if you think about who wouldn't want people eating good quality meat, seafood, and really good quality vegetables and fruit, if people started to eat that and they avoided the other sectors, so they avoided the multinational food companies that create hydrogenated vegetable oils or spreads or uh, packaged foods or packaged cereal. If we avoid cereals, wheat, saw, I mean, wheat, um, for instance, rice, if we avoid um, corn, if we avoid some of the legumes such as soy, where does that leave these companies if a large proportion of the, the population start to eat this way? Yeah. What happens? I mean, are they gonna, is that going to hurt their bottom dollar? And, and I don't want to see industries, you know, how do I say this in the, in the, the most polite way or almost common sense way is, 
for some reason, there is more there's more emotional import into people that farm foods than the health of the people that eat the foods, especially in this country, uh, uh, in, in certain aspects. Um, yeah. Because I've, I've spoken about before. I said, you know, well, maybe, maybe we're farming too much of certain foods in this country, which actually doesn't suit I mean, if we're going to go a little step deeper here, which actually doesn't suit the land properly or to the best yep. of its uh, capacity. And we're seeing that in America through the monocropping of, of the, the corn or the soy or the rice or the, the wheat, for instance. What does it take for that to, to maintain uh, its sustainability moving forward? What inputs do they have to put? What chemicals do they have to put onto the, onto the land? And what is it doing to the soil itself? Or what is it doing to our microbiome when we ingest that? And I'm not saying yeah. don't farm. It's just, is there something better that we can be using that land for to farm that brings us great health, which brings back nutrients into the soil, which has a long-term sustainable uh, positive outcome, not only on human health, but animal health, but also on planetary health, on the planet's health. That is Absolutely. what I'm saying. Whereas we have, especially in Australia, we have so much of our land that is devoted to farming. And the way that it's farmed is not beneficial for the land. And it's definitely not beneficial for anybody that eats that. Yeah. But to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing that, it, it's like, hey, well, this is what we've always done. We're third generation wheat farmers. It's like, yeah, okay. You've got will to be able to choose what you want to do in your lifetime. And, and this goes into any, any family practice where children take over the family business. And I'm going a little bit deep here because... Um, uh, it's also can be a part of disease when, when children are forced into a business or a, a mm. way of life to emulate parents, which they don't want to do. Yeah. I mean, recently I saw a movie called Hero Dreams of Sushi, which is about this, this wonderful sushi chef. Yeah, it's awesome. And he, yeah. But now his son does it or his sons do it. Yeah, and probably their sons will do it. And and you speak, you watch the the movie, and I had tears in my eyes because you could see the son didn't have a passion for it. He actually wanted to go do something else. But, yeah. But to respect and what is expected of these people, they follow in their their father's or their family's footsteps. And you know what what sort of life is that? And. The same could be said for, for many different uh, industries and how people f sort of encourage their families to take over the family business. And I, I do see that there, there will have to be a change of what we farm in the future for, for the betterment of our health and also the, for the betterment of the, the, the planet. Because yeah. if people do stop buying this sort of stuff. I mean, I live in a, a beautiful part of North New South Wales on a farm. And even last night, they're burning sugarcane in the next property next to us. 
and <laughs> we did a post on Instagram. Go, I wonder when they're going to change burning or growing sugarcane to actually grow. Maybe we'll be able to yield them more money, but also at the same time bring about great health for for yeah. a product that they're actually farming. And the practice of burning off the sugarcane is destructive to the land around it, and uh, it's it's not cool. But um, the council seem to be in favour of or in fear of not upsetting the uh, sugar cart or apple cart in implementing uh, uh, laws of how to manage that sugar cane. So they, they can burn this toxic this stuff into the atmosphere, into the surrounding properties that have been sprayed with shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's another topic here I'm going off on. But it all comes back to this fundamental thing of, just because we've done something for so long doesn't mean it's right. What are the, exactly. what are the solutions moving forward? And I think that's... Back to the AMA. The AA is they've been... The dietitians they've got a university to study one way of thinking, which is calories in, calories out, blah, blah, blah. We need high-fiber diets. We need uh, 150 grams minimum of carbohydrates per day. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't even talk about how that stuff is grown and that we should be avoiding anything that has had glyphosate on it or roundup sprayed on it and i made that statement five or six years ago why aren't they even addressing this or even mentioning this in any of their any of their information that they share with the public through mainstream media yeah instead they they decide to do a and they've done it many times a a media release for journalists which advise people of the dangers of eating meat and vegetables, organic meat and vegetables, mind you, or <laughs> caught seafood. <laughs> they believe that this way of eating is dangerous for the general public. And it blows my mind. It, it blows my mind, this, this idea that, you know, they'll say things like, you know, this is a, this is dangerous because you're in, uh, removing entire food groups. You know, this is a, a challenge that we had uh, with our Ministry of Health just released their review of diets last week. And of course, it had the usual culprits, you know, Mediterranean diet, great, DASH diet, great, do not do a ketogenic diet, do not do a low carb diet, do not do a paleo diet. Why? Because they exclude entire food groups. Strange by its absence was a vegan diet. And from what we know, it was actually that the review was compiled by some vegan vegetarian scientists. And of course, they're not going to include the same, the same rationale, right? If you're going to say that one diet is negative because it excludes entire food groups, you have to then include the same metric. Even if it's a good diet, I'm not going to sort of debate vegan either. But the metric they use is very simplistic. And I also think what you were saying before about appropriate land usage a lot of the the nuances of that whole argument are lost because people just make the assumption based on very limited in silico models that a vegan diet is best for the planet for all these reasons but they're not taking into account that monoculture farming the use of pesticides and herbicides inappropriate land use which uses massive amounts of resources I mean, you know, there is so much more going on. Plus, it's all based on US models, which are completely different to the to Australia, completely different to New Zealand. And so I, I think people suffer from this oversimplification, and then they can sit in a position of being right. And that was my ramble. <laughs> <laughs>
well done well done yeah it's a it's interesting and and i guess um we'll go back to the start is that um what i'd like to say is everybody has a choice to do whatever they want to do i mean the the only people that don't really have a choice are the children or the babies or the the invalid anyone that can't look after themselves and and for any of those people that can't look after themselves or make decisions for themselves then obviously the best practices should be applied for them especially if you're a parent and you've got children there's no there's no debate with that Mm. and for everybody else uh, people say should everybody eat a paleo or low carb approach i go well if you're talking about individual health i can't comment on that because everybody has free will to live their lives however they see fit if they want to eat mcdonald's every single day of their life they have they have the free will to be able to do that someone wants to have a vegan diet for themselves and not for their children then that adult is free to make that decision for sure however i i do like to stipulate that if you're asking me should everybody eat a whole uh, say a paleo or low carb approach that factors in great use of well-sourced seafood, meat, vegetables, all all their produce. And if we can source that holistically and biodynamically and organically, then yes, I do believe everybody on the planet should be eating this way for the sake of the planet, for the Mm. sake of the land, for the sake of coming generations. Then yes, as as a large collective, yes, for that reason. But on an individual perspective, obviously, I'd love everyone to walk around feeling great and being healthy and happy. But um, I would go crazy if I, if I wanted that for each and every person because it, it's out of my control. It's completely yeah. out of my control. So uh, the only person they can look after is themselves. And I think that's the key to any of this is to work out what your priorities are, what your values are, and really be conscious about the decisions that you make, not only on food, but where do you buy your produce? Can you grow it? How do you interact with yourself and with others? How do you interact with your children? How do you do, you do a job that you love? Is it inspiring? Do you create? Do you put something out there into the world? Do you take? Are you grateful for your um, for your decisions and and in your life because at the end of the day it all comes down to you so you only have yourself to to thank or to blame (laughs) that's probably a good place to wrap it up that is a great (laughs) a great quote to wrap it up on pete i appreciate you so much being on uh tonight and i apologize again for the late start and the tech difficulties we had but it's just been uh awesome to listen to you like i say i mean I'll, I'll, i'll end with this in the interest of fairness, I did a review of What the Health when it came out. And so in the interest of fairness, I thought I'm going to review um, The Magic Pill and I'm going to be pretty scathing. If there's things in there that I think are inaccurate, if there's things that I think are scientifically invalid, I'm going to basically do the same as what I did to What the Health. Unfortunately or fortunately, I watched the movie and I thought there's not really much I can say about this because it's just good, sensible stuff. And so that sort of 
is what you've been talking about tonight. It's good, sensible approaches to nutrition, health, and global health. So, I mean, I think it's awesome. Thanks so much for being here tonight, mate. I'm sure everyone got a lot out of it. And this will be going out, obviously, on iTunes and all good podcast um, channels very soon. Thank you, brother. Really nice to uh, have a chat. And thank you for allowing me to to have the space to to have a chat and uh, to be my authentic self. So cheers. Guys. That's awesome, mate. It's, it's an honor. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. If you'd like to know more about what I do, go to cliffharvey.com. And remember, patrons get exclusive access to the live stream podcast. To sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash cliffharvey.